There are changes afoot in the Python packaging world. Brett Cannon agreed to come on the show again and talk with me about Python packaging, PyProject Tomwell, and more. We talk about some of the upcoming work on Python packaging, such as editable installs and standardization, standardization around that, how other tools use the pyproject.toml file for configuration, and then we go off on tangents and talk about things like why it's good to have packages like pip, toml, setup tools, and wheel, etc., et not part of the standard library. And maybe we should remove some other stuff from the standard library. And, uh, you know, how come we only can use unit test for testing standard library stuff? And even, like, why do we call it CPython and not C++ Python? And lots more. I always learn a lot when I talk with Brett. This episode of Test and Code is brought to you by Datadog, Modern Monitoring and Security, and by CircleCI, Continuous Integration and Deployment, and by listeners like you that support the show through Patreon. Thank you. Welcome to Testing Code, because software engineering should include more testing. Uh, so there's stuff going on with pyproject.toml. There's a lot of stuff going on with just packages, period. But yes, there's stuff going on with pyproject.toml. And pa- oh, packages, period? Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's stuff going on in the packaging ecosystem. Well, let's start with, let's start with the toml stuff and mm-hmm. is, and, uh, what in in place installs or uh, what what do they call those? Um, editable installs. Editable installs. Mm. Is that going to happen? Uh, in what way? You mean editable installs working with pyproject.toml and all that stuff? Yeah. So to be so to be totally clear here, the concept of editable installs is actually a set of tools concept. There is no spec or standard backing them up at all. Uh, is just a concept that set of tools came up with back in the egg days. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Brian and I are talking about, editable installs basically from set of tools will drop a .pth file and an egg.info directory, uh, uh, .egg.info directory uh, into your site packages so that you can edit the source code of your project in place and then have it show up as if it had been installed specifically. Um, and the deal is, is because it's a set of tools concept, there is no direct support for it anywhere in the packaging ecosystem. Now, right now, literally today, uh, there, there's a thread going on right now about what standardizing editable installs would look like. And there's movement on it even today discussing what such a standard would have to look like to make that work. Because, uh, at least on the PIP side of the packaging ecosystem, uh, we're making a big push right now to try to make the whole packaging ecosystem run off of standards. Uh, because for the longest time, right, everything was just disutils or just setup tools. And it was just however setup tools did it, yeah. which was never specified, right? So, like, you never knew if you were really breaking anything because, I mean, setup tools is a great project and we appreciate the hard work they put in, but they didn't write everything. They haven't written everything down and they never will. It's just way too big of a project and they have other things to worry about. So there's no way to say, to tell Flit, Hey, this is the way it should work because the answer is what has historically just been however setup tools did it. And it's like, well, how's that? And you have to just kind of figure it out and just reverse engineer it and hope you reverse engineer it in a way that people agree that that's the way it should be. So as part of that, we're trying to move towards standards. 
what because editable installs are used enough, what's happened is is build tools like Flit and such um, will create um, stub setup.py files so that you can still use setup tools to kind of fake out uh, the editable install for you, even if you use a different build tool. And that's basically all, all um, I think you're alluding to, because this is all coming off of that big Twitter thread in my blog post. Right? Yeah, and I was confused, actually, because I don't... So, like, okay, so normally I can say, um, uh, if I just go... To, if I'm working on a project, like I clone it or something, and I just want to I want to use it as if it was installed, like there's, like for instance, if there's a command line tool or something that I want to use, um, I can just say pip install dash i and then, like, dot for the current directory. And the dash i says says in place install, mm-hmm. and that work and it, it actually if I just do not without the i, if I just do the dot, it installs this current directory mm-hmm. anyway, mm-hmm. and that works even with flit. Yes, um, but it's the uh, but but if you edit, it doesn't make changes. So I'm not sure. I think. I don't actually know what hap- happens under the hood if it builds the thing and then pop cop copies it to the directory or something. Exactly. Okay. It is building the wheel behind the scenes and then installing the wheel. Oh, okay. But the um, the, the flit has a an option to do like you can you can do a flit install with a either uh, like a I can't remember the flags. It's either a PTH file or dash s for the symbolic links or something. Uh-huh. So so you can either in I don't really know what it's doing. It looks like it's just copying your project directory to, or a link from your project directory to the setup directory or something. Yeah, most tools either figure out where your code exists and then create a symlink. So Flit could easily be going like, okay, so Brian has this project called Spam. It's in a source directory because everyone knows Brian loves source directories. So what it would do is it would symlink slash src slash uh, spam into your site packages directory is spam. And then that way, uh, all it has to do technically really to look like an editable install is create the um, .dist info directory, which contains all the metadata for an install package. And then to Python and all the other tools in the world, it just looks like any other installed project. Okay, But you can edit the source code because it's literally just a symlink away. The other way to do this is with PTH files, uh, which is short for path. And what you can do with you can do with PTH files is you can specify, you can stick them in your site packages directory. And any line in a PTH file that is not a comment or starts with uh, import will be added onto your sys.path. So what you can do is you could drop a spam.pth file in your site packages and have that just point back to your src slash spam directory. And then it would just stick that onto your um, sys.path. Or actually, you'd probably just put src. And then that way, when it looks, when sys.path hits your SRC, it's going to know spam's there, and then it can just directly import it. And then once again, you can just edit it in place, and then the install won't look any different because that PTH follows what's causing Python to look over there. Okay. The deal with all this, as I said, is none of this is standardized. There's no standard how does pip or how does flit specify how any of this works. It's all just based on just old practice of setup tools. And that's okay. what we're hoping to eventually solve when someone has enough time to do it is what's the, what's the standard for this? What's the specification? Okay. But if I want it, so this, this trick of doing a, like a stub setup dot CFG file or something. Setup.py. Yep. Stub setup.py. Uh, 
why would I do that? Is is it so that I can do pip install dot i dash i instead of flit install or? Yeah, it depends on the tool. Basically, so so where all this is coming from, just so everyone has background, is if you use a pyproject.toml file uh, to specify your build tool, you technically do not need a setup.py file, even if oh, you're a right. user. Got right? it. So if you, in your pyproject.toml, specify that set of tools is your build tool, um, and you specify the line that tells... Uh, your install your build tool how to run setup setup tools. Uh, that's all that's necessary to build a wheel using setup tools and a pyproject.toml file. So that means you don't need a setup.py, right? If you have a setup.cfg, setup tools knows how to get all the details from there, period. So you can actually dish that setup.py file. Okay. Except when you want to do edible installs. That concept is so specific to setup.py files and setup tools that you need this little shim of a setup.py file that literally is no no is like nothing. It's literally, I think it's if I remember correctly, it is import setup tools, setup tools dot setup. And that is it. And then all the and then setup tools itself will just go, oh, okay. I'm gonna look for the setup.cfg. Oh, I found it, I'll parse it, I got all my information, now I can do whatever I need. But that whole idea of doing an edible install, tools like pip and stuff just assume it needs a setup.py file. And it's gonna be oh, setup.py okay. dash uh, run with I think dash dash develop is the flag. And so that's why it exists is purely because all the tools just assume that if you say, give me an edible install of my project, it's going to be set up.py dash dash develop. Okay. And that's, that's the entire reason that file needs to exist. Even if you have all of your details in setup.cfg, this is why flit passes one around as well. It's basically backwards compatibility with tools that just completely assume that setup tools is what you're using. Okay, and, and there's, specifically for edible installs. And there's a way to do this hack with uh, Flit as well. Flit does it for you automatically. When you generate your uh, SDIS, it actually tosses it in for you. Okay. Would I do a Flit build or something like that? It'll. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Okay. Okay. Cool. This episode of Testing Code is brought to you by Datadog. Datadog has been a longtime sponsor of Python Bytes, and it's super cool to have them support this show as well. Do you have an app in production that is slower than you like? Is its performance all over the place? Sometimes fast, sometimes slow? Do you know why? With Datadog, you will. You can troubleshoot your app's performance with Datadog's end-to-end tracing, and in one click, correlate those Python traces with related logs and metrics. Use their detailed flame graphs to identify bottlenecks and latency in that app of yours. Start tracking the performance of your apps with a free trial at testingcode.com slash datadog. If you sign up for a free trial and install the agent, Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Okay, so there's there's discussion around what basically if if we support setup uh, editable installs, how and is is just not supporting them an option still? Or do you think they'll happen eventually? I think it'll happen eventually. It's basically too convenient not to. It, right? I mean, the, the discussion has been going on fits and starts. Uh, at PyCon 2019, uh, at the packaging summit during the sprints, uh, the topic came up. People, the, a, a sketch was co- developed, and basically the thing was someone has to take the time to create a proof of concept. Some build tool has to support the, concept, the, the idea of what it'll take to do an editable install, and then that's a backend tool and then we need a front end tool like pip to try to use the backend tools proof of concept implementation 
to verify that this is a reasonable standard, that there's nothing fishy or we're missing big holes or we have some blind spot we're not aware of. And so what happened is, is I think literally at least on my reading today, it may have happened yesterday, I don't know. Uh, finally, I think everyone got all the details pulled together in one spot and now we're just hoping um, some of the people interested are going to have the time to sit down and take one of the build tools. Like I think Daniel Halth is talking about maybe trying to uh, update NSCONs for instance, to support edible installs. Basically, as soon as one person does it, we can then hack together. Some One of the PIP developers can hack up PIP to try to use this new API and see if it works. And if it works, then we'll write up a PEP. We'll put it forward. It'll probably get accepted because the whole packaging community is working on it together. And, we'll, and then we'll just have a standard. And then all the tools can end up growing edible install support naturally and not have to have this little weird shim anymore. There's still quite a few to- tools that you cannot put your configuration in a pyproject.tomo file. Um, yeah, well, so f- there's a funny history about that. So when I co-authored PEP 518, which standardized pyproject.tomo and how to specify the build tools uh, necessary to build your project, we explicitly forbade other tools <laughs> from using it. Well, that was your problem. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> we did it, and then obviously people ignored it. Yeah. Uh, pretty quickly because I think everyone realized it was really convenient suddenly having a single file to store all your project's specific configurations. And it made sense. It's just basically what we what we wanted to do was we wanted to start slow. I mean, and the idea came up. It's just standards are hard enough as it is, but trying to be too flexible at the get-go without having good insight as to where things are going to go leads to trouble, right? Like perfect example in Python is our transition from Python 2 to 3, right? Like, we thought the transition would not be nearly as bad because we honestly thought people's code had a clear separation between textual and binary data. So we didn't think it would be so hard for people to make the transition and clean up their... uh, Not We didn't think there would be much code cleanup for people to try to get a very clear distinction between what was binary data to them and textual data. But because we didn't have insight into other people's code bases, we are going off on assumption. And it turned out to be wrong. The people's codes were not that clearly separated. And for people who did not have as clear of a separation, the transition was much harder. So having learned that lesson, we try to, when we do standards now, be very tightly scoped and focused and restrictive because it's much easier to add things later than to take things back. Yeah. And so in this case, we say like, okay, instead of getting it wrong and wanting to take back the the fact that other tools can use PyProject.toml, I said, all right, we're just going to start with no one using it for that. It's just for us and for packaging builds. No one else can use it. People completely ignored it. And then uh, we quickly realized, okay, you know what? It's fine. Um, other tools are using it, and it works out great. And uh, so we actually updated the PEP. I can't remember when. Yeah, luckily we marked it provisional, so it was totally cool to update. We actually marked it final, I think, last month. Someone just asked, why is it still provisional? And it's like, honestly, no one thought to bother to make it not provisional anymore. Because it was one of those things. We did provisional on purpose initially, and then we preferred to sit on it until we got it locked down. And we're not tweaking it at this point. Well, like, for instance, like, black, I I think it's the only way to configure black. Black is the only yes. Black is one of the common tools that tr- trips people up uh, when they suddenly opt into uh, PyProject.toml and isolated builds. So for people who don't know, PyProject.toml originally was a file to specify your build dependencies. 
right? It was just to be able to say, I use set up tools and wheel to build a wheel, or I use flit or whatever. It was the way to tell a tool like pip, this is what you're going to have to install somewhere in order for you to build me as a wheel. <laughs> yeah. Straightforward. Pep 517 then brought in the concept of specifying the API necessary to actually run the build tool. So 518 said, here's the file. Here's how you specify I need flit. 517 says, okay, here's how you say how to run flit, how to tell pip how to run flit. Now, the deal is, is because we are installing build tools now, we have to build your code in isolation because otherwise we end up back in a situation of people are installing stuff into their global install, right? right? You should not be installing Flit into your global install Python just to build one of your projects. It should be a per-project thing, especially if you're specifying different build tool versions, yeah. right? Once again, it, you may not have updated. So if you're doing that, what that means is, is that you're going to need to build in isolation. You need to build in a virtual environment. The, and so what PIP did when they designed their support for PIP 517.518 was, okay, if a pyproject.toml exists, <laughs> yes. we're going to do an isolated build of your project, which yes. sounds fine, but people have some really hacked up setup.py files that are not designed to run in isolation. Like they make massive assumptions that it's running straight from a Git repo and has not been moved and all these other things and things just fall over. Yeah. And it made sense when they started it because remember, 518 did not let other tools do it. It was purely you only had this file if you were doing builds. Yeah. It was only for specifying build stuff. But when all the other tools started to use it, it suddenly became a bit more than just a build tool thing. It just became a uh, project configuration file. That was that's also used for building. So because of that it it no longer acted as a flag, and so that tripped a lot of people up, especially when popular projects like Black now, for instance, only has that, which I personally think is great because what it means is is people forget like people complain like oh my god Black only uses PyProject.toml. Realize that if it didn't do that, you'd have yet another configuration file somewhere in your project just for Black, which I think we all agree is a good thing to have less of. Yeah, or if you want to, but or just don't configure it. Yeah, or just exactly. I don't even configure black. I just run black, and I just don't care anymore. Um, but that tripped a lot of people up. Is because uh, Pip decided to use PyProject.toml as a Sentinel to flag build isolation as Pip five one seven requires. Things started to fall over, and people just weren't quite expecting that. Okay. This episode is sponsored by Circle CI. Designed for modern software teams, CircleCI's continuous integration and delivery platform helps developers push code with confidence. Trusted by thousands of companies, from four-person startups to Fortune 500 businesses, CircleCI helps teams take their software from idea to delivery quickly, safely, and at scale. Visit circle.ci slash testingcode to learn why high-performing DevOps teams use CircleCI to automate and accelerate their CI CD pipelines. That link again is circle.ci slash testing code. And that link will also be in our show notes. And you will definitely want to go and check that out before July 30th because you can enter to win a pair of Sony noise canceling headphones. Very cool, Circle CI. And thank you for sponsoring this episode. Now, is there a Tomal parser in the standard library? Okay, so that I think that's one of the reasons why some projects don't want to support PyProject Toml because it 
it just has yet another dependency that they need to bring in? Well, so it's funny, right? So, okay. So there, so I'm going to, uh, so there's a couple points on this. One is the reason there is no Toml parser in the Python standard library is Toml has not reached version one yet. So as we all know, anything that ends up in the standard library doesn't really get to evolve anymore, right? Because there's backwards compatibility guarantees and we don't want to break people and all that stuff. Even, even at an annual release cadence that we have now for Python, we, we don't want to break people. So the idea that suddenly you have a Toml file and let's say Toml's at I think 0.5 right now and they're about to hit one. They hit I think they released 1.0 RC recently. Uh, I also mentioned uh, Predion, one of the uh, maintainers of Pip is actually one of the maintainers of Toml, so that helps a lot. Okay. But the deal is because it wasn't at one when we chose it, uh, we didn't want to put something in the standard library because if the Toml file format changed in some way that broke things and the usage we had in 5.18 was very basic. So the, it was not going to break due to any of the peps we wrote. But if you were using it for who knows what yeah. and something broke, suddenly everyone's going to go, well, you're not following the one, the, the, the one, the version one spec. It's like, okay, so we update, but now suddenly broke people. So we couldn't do it until it hits 1.0. So that's right. the main reason it hasn't gotten in yet. The other thing is, is you hear people go like, oh, well, I can't do this without something in the standard library. Or I'm going to have to vendor it. Well, so the funny thing is, is everyone says, oh, one more dependency. But don't you already have more than one dependency in your project? So why is this one little dependency such a hang-up for people? It's not like Toml parsers are huge. This is not like you're downloading TensorFlow, right? Which is like, I think, a couple hundred megs. It, it, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, 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 and I know it's a psychological thing. But it's funny when you say, oh, one more thing for, I guess, because it's configuration or something. It's like, why is this not in the standard library? It makes sense to me to be in the standard library. It's like, well, it's not. It's like, oh, well, I want to use it because I don't want to have one more dependency. But I'm willing to bet almost everyone who says that has at least five dependencies, whether they download it dynamically or they vendored it, like PIP or who knows what. Like PIP, like, for instance, the PIP developers, fine. They didn't care. They vendored the Toml parser. It, it was not a big deal. Yeah. It's just there. Poetry, they wrote their own Toml parser. They have one called Toml Kit, which was designed such that you can update a Toml file and not change the formatting. So, like, if you run poetry and uh, the poetry install and you specify a new dependency, it'll actually only add that new line and won't reformat everything. So, it's worked out. It's been fine. It's just, it, you do run into people like that though. And I, I mean, I get the, I get the idea. It's like, Oh God, one more thing. Why can't the standard library just have it? Well, do realize that basically what you're asking is I own the Tomble parser, right? It's, it, this is not a freebie thing. It's a freebie to you. Cause it's one less line in your configuration file, but that's another thing for me and the core dev team to maintain. So it's, it, it's free to, it, it's free from a certain perspective, but it's not free from another perspective. And mm-hmm. once again, once it's in the standard library, it ain't changing because the risk of breaking people is way too high. Really? So having it outside the standard library makes it a lot easier to maintain, to evolve and get to where we want. Now, that's not saying we won't end up there. It's just, at least from my personal view, it's one of these funny things when people said, oh, God, I can't use Tomble until it's in the standard lib. It's like, I'm willing to bet you've got other stuff in there. So, what is it? Okay, I get that. But it is interesting to me that I can't, package python without installing extra stuff well you can't well what do you use to package python 
what, what do you use to package your stuff? Well, now I use Flit, but okay. I, I used but to before use that, Setup Tools. Use? Well, Setup Tools isn't inside Lambert either. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is is and it always surprised me. I was like, I why why not? Why isn't Setup Tools in Standard Library? Well, look at it this way: if Setup Tools had been the Standard Library, do you think any of the changes that have been made, like Setup.cfg or anything, would have happened? I mean, disutils is the perfect example. We're actually trying to get disutils out of the standard library because it can't evolve. We can't touch it because we'll break people. Okay. So we're actually trying to get disutils out of the standard library and just part of setup tools so that it can actually have bugs fixed and things changed to be more sane because we're too scared of breaking the world if we change anything in there. Yeah. Actually, that's, that makes sense. And I, we, we're not talking about this specifically, but um, uh, I think you, you and uh, you were on a uh, Python bytes where we talked about um, uh, the the splitting up of uh, basically whether or not the standard library should be a lot smaller than it is now. Uh, yeah, it's a question we've not had on the core team. Well, I take that back. We've had it many times. We've never finished the conversation. It's a hot topic for a lot of people, right? Like, it's one of the things where people go like, I would love to have this in the standard library. And you go, okay, why? A lot of the time is either I think it's my project and I think it's great and I think the whole world should have it, which is fine, but that's not a reason to put it in. Or some someone goes, I think this is fundamental to coding. And a lot of and at least half the time we have to say, actually, no, it's not. If you look at the the majority of Python developers, they will never need this. Now, other times it's like this is extremely niche, but extremely difficult to get right cross-platform, like the OS module, for instance. That's really hard to do right. So it's in the standard library because it evolved over years and years. But a lot of the reason the standard library exists is because it predates everyone having the internet, right? Yeah. Like Python came out in February of 1991. It predates Linux, for God's sakes, being public. It's one of these things where people don't realize that it predates graphical browsers. Like one of the, I don't know how many people know this, but one of the first GUI browsers was almost written in Python. Uh, Gradle, actually. Um, so it's one of these weird things where it's people. The reason we have the standard lib was because it Python predates the internet in that regard and the World Wide Web and it's that kind of structure. Now that we have pip and PyPI to what it's at, does would would we if we were doing the standard library again, would we still have it the size it is? Would we have it be smaller? Would we have it even be larger? Would we do a sumo release that some people have talked about and can can um, have it contain a whole bunch of things? I I don't know, but this is one of those things where. Now that we have a steering council, I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to have – I don't want – the reckoning sounds way too negative. But we're probably going to finally have this conversation and really try to hash out what is the standard library? What is its goal? How do we want to maintain it? Where do we want it to go? Especially now that Python 2 is done, right? Because a lot of the stuff we've kept around for a long time was specifically so we didn't break people doing transition 2 to 3 code. Now that we don't have to worry about Python 2 code anymore – there's a bunch of modules we can drop. Like Christian Himes has a whole list of modules we could probably stand to deprecate and just get rid of. And it's very conservative. That, then, so past that, the question becomes, what, what should the barrier of entry to be? Should we even have a standard library? Should we just have a things we consider so important the Python core team maintains it, but we still ship on pip and you install it that way and we just kind of have a sumo-like release? It's tough because we also have people come and tell us like, hey, getting any IP 
outside of my project, outside of my company is really hard. So having the standard library helps a lot because when Python's installed, I can get the lawyers to okay Python and everything that comes with it, and that's it. So if we strip it out, suddenly they can't install anything and get anything done because they have to get approval for all those little things. Yeah. So it, it's really complicated. Yeah, or there could be like a layered thing. Like, like uh, I don't really think of. I mean, things have changed late recently, but um, C plus plus isn't just C plus plus. It's the the it's the code plus standard template library and some other stuff that really aren't part of the language, but you mm-hmm. kind of use them together. So mm-hmm. there there could be like, oh well, there's the web stuff that you add, or the data stuff, or there's other stuff in in a like a uh, what blessed package or or set of packages or something, maybe. Uh, but um, but the the having the core small, but it is interesting uh, to talk about the the I you know I was just thinking Python has batteries included, even the dead ones. Um, yeah, exactly so. right. It's like I mean another really good example. Of this is look at Circuit Python. Yeah. You're running stuff on a little IoT device that we were given at PyCon. Fantastic. Does it really need to have the CGI module? <laughs> right? No. I mean, exactly. Does it need to be running PyDoc? <laughs> right. I mean, it's this kind of things that you just don't stop. I mean, I had a really crazy con- uh, con- I made a very outlandish comment on Twitter one day, and some people really kind of, one person kind of took me to task on because they really disagreed. But honestly, does Python need a REPL? Oh, wow. Yeah, that could be an add on. Right, like the Python language does not require REPL. Now, that's not saying it's extremely useful, and the Python's popularity isn't at least partly due to having the REPL to make it very accessible. But that's not really part of the definition of what Python is. Well, right, and and if so, one of the one of the packaging or application packaging ideas is to just package Python with whatever with your application and send it to your user in various ways, and yeah. if. If that if the language itself was a lot smaller because it had no like none most of the standard library ripped out, um, and you only packaged the stuff you needed, uh, those would be smaller images, you know. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's no good answer, and I don't have one. Uh, <laughs> it, but it just to be very clear here, I don't want anyone reading into this. The Brett Cannon of the Steering Council said we should get rid of the standard library. I mean, that's not what I'm saying here. I don't want anyone to take any of this out of context. You heard it here the first. Yeah, right. Brett Cannon says that we should rip out the standard. <laughs> but I, I mean, th- this is the things we, we we grapple with whenever this topic comes up. Is like where are the lines? Where where, where is reasonable? And the problem is, is this is all this is all extremely subjective. Yeah. No that, one has that, no one has good numbers of like what modules are people actually using. And are they using enough to justify keeping it in the standard library? Does it make sense? Is stuff evolving faster? Like, like another good example. Why are people complaining about? Um, why are people not going like, well, I'm not going to use uh, HTTPX or requests or any other client side networking library to uh, to download something, right? I'm only going to use URL lib. Oh. No one says that. Everyone uses requests. Yeah. Right. Or they use HTTPX, which yeah. and if people don't know HTTPX, it's very good. I, I do recommend people check it out. It has full async support. It's awesome. Anyway. Um, well, there, there's the other the other but part. Still, but my point is everyone's happy to download that and make that a dependency. And yet some people get a little cranky over not having a tumble parser of all things. It's just it, – it's funny how everyone's delineation of what is and is not acceptable varies from person to person. And it's, and it's part of what makes this such a tough conversation to have. Yeah. 
Well, so one of the reasons I heard that unit test is in the standard library was because you want to use it to test the rest of the standard library. Uh, I don't know the history. Unit test predates me becoming a core developer, but that is definitely the key, key use case now is unit test is in this. It, we use unit test to test Python. Yeah. So um, is it, so one of the, yeah. So is, it, is that true then that you, like all testing, can't you can't use extra stuff? Like um, We try not to. Okay. Basically, we've tried to make sure that the test suite uh, for Python works completely from a checkout, and all you really need is a C, uh, all you need is a compliant C99 parser, and you don't even need a completely C99 compliant parser. You need a parser that implements all of C89 and some selective parts of C99, and that should be it. And then the uh, autoconf tools, so you got to be able to run make. But that's all that's required to build C Python. There's some extra little extra tests that have optional bits for, I think, some external things. I can't remember what they are. But the vast, 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 vast majority of all the tests don't require anything outside of a source checkout. Yeah, so, like, you can't use Hypothesis, for instance. Um, no, although uh, the team made a presentation at the Language Summit the other week about uh, potentially using Hypothesis to do some testing on Python. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, they made it. Uh, I personally think they made a compelling use case. But once again, it brings up the question of: Okay, does it make sense to have Python's test suite and, and specifically C Python's test suite depend on something that's not in the standard library? How would that work? How how would how that how do we manage that? Do we somehow have to bundle it in and check it into the source repo? Do we have to do like an ensure hypothesis thing? And mm -hmm. if those Tests. If it's not installed, we just skip the tests. Where, where do we do it in a whole separate repo? And it's kind of more of just a, yeah, these tests exist and they're over there, but it's kind of a just run and CI sort of thing. Yeah, it's a separate repo designed for different things and different requirements, and it's just all kind of run in a different way and just kind of an isolated incident. Yeah, okay. I, I don't know. Uh, once again, that that discussion just happened. Uh, when was that? Was language language summit last week? I think it was last week. Maybe a week, maybe two weeks ago. So okay. it was a fairly recent idea. Um, the the other okay. So now that I'm thinking about the core, the C Python a little bit. Um, do you know why C Python is C Python and not like C plus plus Python? I mean, it, so it's C Python because Guido likes C and not C plus plus. Okay. Uh, it will totally work with C++. We have all the proper extern C headers stuff that are gated appropriately in, in .h files so that you can totally embed uh, C Python in a C++ application. So that's not a problem. But you also have to remember, Guido started this back in 1989. C was a lot older than C++ at that point. And I think, honestly, Guido just preferred C. Okay. Yeah, I was just curious about that. Because even my C code that looks like C is running on a C++ compiler, so... Uh, mm -hmm. but anyway cool well uh thanks for letting me pick your brain on all this stuff of course anytime <laughs> and uh we'll talk to you later all right talk to you later cool thank you brett as always i learn a lot when we talk and thank you datadog for sponsoring check them out at testandcode.com slash datadog also thank you to circle ci for sponsoring check them out at circle.ci slash testandcode 
And thanks to listeners like you that support the show through Patreon. Join them by going to testandcode.com support. All those links and links to many of the items that we talked about on the show are in the show notes at testandcode.com 119. That's all for now. Now go out and test something.